Merry Christmas and welcome again. We have made it to the end of the journey to the manger. We're there. We kind of got there last night, but we're for sure there this morning. And I hope that you can get a just a little different take on Christmas morning, on the Christmas story this morning as we're together. You know, sometimes I'll find myself visiting somebody in town, and then I'll come back to my house but I'm coming at my house from a different direction. And I'm not a native of Newton, and sometimes I will get to an intersection that I'm at all the time, but because I'm coming from a different way, I get a little disoriented, and I actually have to look around. I know where this is, but it's crazy, just a different perspective on something that you see all the time can really look different. And I hope this morning, as we go back and look at that passage that Jordan and uh, Londa read last night, as we look at that from Luke chapter 2, that maybe we'll see it in just a little bit different way. In John 21, verse 25, it says this. It says, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Your spouse ever come home from work and you ask them how their day went and they start from when they got up and 45 minutes later they're still going. You you would never really want to know exactly how their day went. You wouldn't want to have all that information. Sometimes when the kid comes home from school, oh, what'd you do today? And they start talking and you're making supper, you know, and, and you, get, uh, you get done with dinner and they're still talking. It's time to go to bed, they're still talking. You would never really want to know all that. So as we look at this passage in Luke chapter 2, what Luke wrote, he, had, he adopted God's agenda. Because you could say, well, how was your day today? And what you really want to know is, hey, what would you accomplish today? Or what you really want to know is, who would you talk to today? Or what you really want to know is, did you learn anything new today? Or where did you go today? There's usually a context to the question. It's not just, hey, tell me everything that you did from the moment you woke up this morning until right now. Nobody really wants to know that. So you've got the life of Jesus written in four Gospels, and the only thing that's there is what God wants us to know. So as we look at Luke chapter 2, It's like reading a news article circa 3 B.C. I don't know how they figure that out, but that's what they say. Jesus was born in 3 or 4 B.C. That's, I guess, pretty certain amongst the scholars. But we've arrived at the end of the journey. We're at the manger, and we're going to look at Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, and we're going to hurry through it so that I can get you on to your next celebration wherever you're going to go today. Um, but I'm excited to share this with you because this is, this is exactly what God wanted us to know about the birth of Jesus. Because in the Gospel of Matthew, really doesn't say anything about the birth of Jesus. It talks about a genealogy. and talks about the angels showing up to Joseph in a dream and that Joseph woke up and did what the angel said. And then the next thing in Matthew chapter 2, we're we're in where Jesus is two or three years old. So this is like the only passage that talks about what happened around the manger and the events surrounding that time. 
So verse four of Luke chapter two, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because, because he belonged to the house and line of David. We know now that that's important, right? After everything we've looked at over the last month, it's important that he was of the house and line of David. And he went up, even though they were going south, but anywhere in Israel, if you're going to Jerusalem, you're going up because it's a much higher elevation. So from Nazareth down toward Jerusalem and then a little bit further to Bethlehem. He went there, verse five, to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Actually, it's funny that he says the way he words it because they were, they were married. They were married. It says in Matthew chapter one that he woke up and he did what the angel of the Lord told him to and he took Mary home as his wife but she was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. Doesn't say their firstborn. Maybe it's not significant. Maybe it is, because it wasn't theirs. It was hers. The baby was hers and God's. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available. It says in verse six there, well, they were there. We don't know that as soon as they arrived, she was in the pains of childbirth, you know, on the donkey coming into town. It's just while they were there. They were in Bethlehem because it's where they needed to be. That's where the baby had to be born, according to Micah chapter five, Micah's writings in his scroll. Verse eight, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. Now this is random, it seems random. The shepherds that were out in the field, I am certain you could fit them in our coffee shop. That's, there weren't that many probably, there might have been, I don't know. We always think that there's two or three. There were probably a dozen or more. There were probably a group of shepherds watching over some flocks of sheep and the angels appeared to them. All across the United States and the world, there are people gathering in large groups, in massively large groups, in cathedrals. Millions of people gathering for Christmas mass and Christmas services, recognizing the birth of Jesus. But when Jesus was actually born, it was actually the lowest people on the socioeconomic ladder. It was some shepherds. They were out in a field and they could all fit in our coffee shop. They were watching over their flocks at night and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. We'll never know until we get to heaven and if we care still, we'll ask God, why did you show up to shepherds? Why not the Pharisees? Why not in the temple in Jerusalem? Why not before crowds of people? Why the shepherds at night in a field? But it says, the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. And that term glory of the Lord takes us back to the Old Testament when the mountain was shaking and quaking. There was thunder and the words of God came and the people said, Moses, you go, because if we go, we're gonna die. So you go and you talk to him and then you come back and tell us what he said because we don't wanna go near him. So the shepherds are terrified. This was quite the visitation. It was no still, small voice. 
Verse 10, the first thing the angel says to them is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, this day, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. I thought it interesting in the original language, it's actually structured like this. For was born to you today a Savior, who is Christ the Lord in the city of David. Kind of an afterthought, in the city of David. But it's so important. It was important to put that. But all the other information was probably primary, even more important, that in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and in the town of David is the last thing in the sentence. This will be a sign to you. The shepherds were given a sign. You remember Zechariah? He says, how can I be sure of this? How can I be sure that my wife Elizabeth is going to have a baby? Because I'm old and she's along in years and it's probably not going to happen. How can I be sure? He wasn't given a sign. In fact, he was struck down and was deaf and unable to talk then until the baby was born. Remember what Mary said? She said, how, how will this be? Basically, she was saying, this will be, but how? I haven't been with a man. But the shepherds, they don't ask any question. Zechariah asked a cynical question. Mary asks a question filled with wonder. And the shepherds, they're just like, they don't know what to do. In fact, it says after that, that the angel, uh, that suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. After being told they would, there would be a sign that there would be a baby in a spot where a baby isn't normally, just in some cloths and lying in a manger, then, before they could even ask a question, this great company of the heavenly host appeared. We sang a song that said something about angels guard, or no, shepherds guard and angels sing. I wonder if they, that they've got that a little bit off. I wonder if when the Messiah was at his weakest point, a newborn baby, where he could be taken by any kind of disease, any kind of subterfuge of man, that there was a great company of God's army, God's angels, God's warrior angels were there protecting him that night. I wonder, because this terminology, this great company is a military term of the heavenly host, basically the, the, the angelic soldiers, they appeared with the angel but they, were, they weren't there fighting. They were praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven. If we were to sit and take that phrase apart, it's kind of fantastical. Glory to God. There's no higher. In the highest heaven, wherever we could imagine we could find God at his ultimate zenith of worship and placement, that's where the glory is going, the glory for the birth of this baby. And then it says in verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds, able now to speak, said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem 
The angels just said the city of David, but they knew. They knew it was Bethlehem and it was nearby. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So the Lord told them through the angels, but they understood it was a word from the Lord, and they said, let's go see this thing that's happened. They believed it happened. That's the definition of faith, a faith that believes and a belief that is so certain that there's action. That's what God's looking for in us. He's looking for us to believe in such a way that we take action. It's not just, oh, good to know, on with our life. It's important to know, and what do I do about it? What is God telling me to do with what I believe? He never gives us something to believe that isn't also something to act on. And the angels, they said, hey, let's go. We're gonna go. So verse 16, they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Hmm. When they had seen him, they spread the word. So there's this huge scene of the angels that come to the shepherds. The shepherds go, and the only thing that's recorded is when they had seen him. That's it. That's it. Well, what did you do when you saw him? I don't know. What did you say? Like, what happened? You got there and the Messiah was born, this good news of great joy for all people. Like, what happened when you got there? What did you find? What was it like? How did you feel? What did Mary and Joseph say? Did you ask them any questions? What were their answers? None of that is in the text. None of it. The only other little, little ray of information is that all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So the shepherds left and went and said stuff, but we don't know what they said, other than if they said what the angels told them. We know what the angels said, but we have no idea what the shepherds said. Wouldn't that be, Luke, wouldn't that be like a, just a sentence? Just give us a little peek into what the shepherds said. It's not important. It's not important. What is important is the Savior was born. What is important is that the, all of the prophecies to Israel were fulfilled in the Messiah. What is important is that the circle, the circle of the redemption of Israel has been closed. Jesus came. But, but, but Mary, Mary just, she treasured up all these things. That, that term is not just, uh, that, that term is that, that they were very dear to her. She, she took them and she, she kept them. She made sure, she probably wrote them down. She probably created some way to remember the things that were being said. And she pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned to their fields, to their sheep, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen. 
They heard these things, they saw these things, but they didn't tell us much about any of it. What did you hear? (laughs) What did you see? Other than what, again, the angel said, we don't know. We don't know. But what they saw was just as they had been told. What the angel said is exactly as they had been told, and more, and more that we don't get to know about. So I'm just going to ask three questions. Number one, what happened when Christ was born? What happened? We just read what happened, but it's, it's scant. It's very sparse. There's not much information there, but we have all that we need to know. In John 1, 1, it says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. What happened when Christ was born? God became flesh. Go out on a hillside in August and sit down on the grass and think about that. God became flesh. What does that mean? There's deep meaning in that. That's what we're celebrating. It's that God became flesh. And he did it the way all, that, all of us did it. He was conceived, and he was carried, and he was birthed, and he grew and developed, and he lived, and he died. All as a human. Exactly the things that we experience. And he made his dwelling among us. We have seen, John writes, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. There are creeds written around that phrase, who came from the Father. Jesus came from the Father. Proceeded forth from the Father to us, and he was full of grace and truth. So that's what happened when Christ was born. The Word became flesh. God became a human. Why did the Word become flesh? That's the second question. Why? This is one of the questions that we asked uh, new pastors, church planners, missionaries that want to be ordained in the Alliance. Why is it important that Jesus was fully human? Why did he have to become human? Could he have just come and been seen as an image? Why is it important that he's fully human? In Hebrews chapter 2, it says this, since the children, speaking about us, have flesh and blood, he too shared in in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. It was important that he become like those he's dying for, like those he's going in place of. Verse 17, it says, for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. He had to become one of us to pay the price for us. And so Jesus became fully human. That's why he became flesh. Like he could have just appeared the way God appeared in the Old Testament, the, the, the cloud and the fire. He could have just appeared, 
but he became flesh. Why? So that when he went as a sacrifice, he could go in our place. Because when God said, when you eat of it, you will surely die. Jesus even tasted that judgment and condemnation for us. He surely died as the man, the man, Jesus Christ, put himself on the altar and allowed himself to be sacrificed for us. He couldn't have done that if he weren't fully human, if he weren't man. So the last question is, how should we respond to this news? This is good news of great joy. How should we respond? When Peter preached about Jesus on the day of Pentecost and he was telling the Jews what was up, they were like, oh my goodness, we, we, we blew it. We messed up. What do we do, Peter? Tell us what to do. And he said this to them in Acts 2, 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, what shall we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Now there are those who argue, well, you have to be baptized in order for your sins to be forgiven. It says so right here. And that's, that's when we take the text so literal that we miss the meaning. But he says to repent, repent, and pledge yourself to Jesus. Identify with Jesus. Proclaim your followership of Jesus. Align yourselves with Jesus. And that's what happened with baptism. Baptism was that public recognition of I am following Jesus. I believe in the Savior. I take the Messiah. I'm committing my life to him. He says, repent. Turn from your evil ways. Turn from the, the thinking that caused you to put the Messiah on the cross. Turn from that. Think differently about that. You used to think this way about Jesus. Now I've just given you a, a different way to think, Peter said, so think that way and identify yourself with Jesus. And how he wanted them to do that was to be baptized. They understood that. They had John the Baptist who'd been around for probably a year or two or three before Jesus proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is at hand and baptizing people. They were identifying with this message. He's saying, Repent and identify with Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Jesus is the only one who could take our sins away. And he says you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the grace of the Holy Spirit. Then he says the promises for you and your children, and just keep on going, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And the question is, is the Lord our God calling you this morning? Has he called you? And is it okay as a follower of Jesus to revisit that? Say, yeah, God, again this morning, again this morning, I want to align myself with the Messiah, with Jesus. I want to proclaim that I'm following you. Four weeks from today on January 22nd, we're going to have another baptism service. If you'd like to get baptized that day, 
And if you never have and you want to proclaim your followership of Jesus, that'd be a great way for you to identify with Jesus Christ and proclaim your commitment and your faith in him. That's the response. That's the response to the good news is to stop thinking wrongly about Jesus and think rightly about him, that he's the Messiah, that he came for us. And as I finish, I want to encourage you to think about the fact that Jesus became human. He became human. He became flesh. That God became flesh. It's one thing for us to want to be higher and to have more and to have power and authority. Some people have these God-like delusions. It's one thing for us to want to be God, but it's a whole nother thing for God to want to become man, to be willing to become human. And Jesus teaching us how to be human is a, is a, is a whole other teaching because that's, that's fascinating that it's okay to be human. To err is not human. To live is human. To be like God is human. God made us human. Human is a good thing. And Jesus showed us the best of humanity. So think about God becoming human so that he could take your sin and my sin. So that he could do that. He was willing and he did. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you did become flesh and that you were in that manger. You were in that feeding trough. You were in that place of humility, that place of lowliness, that, that place of servitude, that you, God, would give yourself for us. Lord, as we spend time today with family and with friends, as we spend time today perhaps yet opening gifts and sharing love one with another, God, really, help us, help us to be so thankful Thankful for the gift of your Son. Thankful for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thankful for the gift of a relationship with you. And then, Lord, in a smaller scale, be thankful for what we have here. So many around the world are in turmoil, are lacking, they're, they're hungry, they're cold, they're persecuted, there's wars, there's lack. God, we're not facing any of that. So we are thankful today, and we praise you. We praise you. Help us, God, to do good, to love others, to serve you. And we worship you, and we praise you for the gift of your son, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.